make reference concerning the atoning work of Jesus Christ as Savior, and that is not to be minimized, because that is a great work, and that was blood that is powerful enough 2,000 years later to even cleanse humanity from whatever sickens him or whatever bothers him or whatever sin there is in his life. But I don't believe we give enough, enough attention to his work as high priest or the work of Jesus as intercessor. And he prays a prayer here of intercession that reaches down 2,000 years later and encompasses all of us. Some years ago in the Apostolic Church in Rosie Claire, I had a series of sermons on the heartbeat of God. I've lifted out from one of those a few excerpts tonight and also have added some new things that God has breathed in my spirit to talk to you tonight about the interceding heart of God. You remember now this is Bible study and if God will allow me, I want to go slow enough to make us realize what it means to have an intercessor like Jesus and how he accomplished that in his life and then how he left some things for us to intercede for. He interceded for us. And then in turn we are to intercede for the world. We have become intercessors for the world. In that 17th chapter it's hard to pick out uh, where I need to start and where I need to finish. The whole chapter is so real but oft times we like to expedite time so we'll just uh, begin at the first and read down probably including maybe 15, 16, maybe 17. This depends on how the Spirit moves. So you read right along with us and realize that these are words spoken before Jesus even went into the Garden of Gethsemane. If you'll notice, Jesus' prayer there was for himself and for strength for him to be able to endure the awful torture that he knew he was going to have to endure and drink the bitter dregs of sin for everyone. But this prayer is not for himself. This prayer is for his disciples and us reaches down to us tonight. Begins with these words, spake Jesus, and lifted up his voice to heaven and said, Now you've got to remember this is the flesh. Jesus was all God and all man. Every bit of him was God, every bit of him was man. And this is the flesh. This is the Son, which is the flesh. Beginning to pray, these words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. Now you have to remember also that the Bible was written mostly by those who believe in the three personal gods. And any time you see the word and, it could just as easily be translated even or because, because the word is kai, K-A-I in the Greek, and it means the same thing. So you could just as easily read that, the only true God, even Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. This is his word. See, you can't separate God from his word. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. 
Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. But now I am no more in the world. But these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those thou hast given me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. But the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil, far from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them in the world. And for their, their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Father, we pray that you would breathe upon the word tonight, breathe upon our life and breathe upon our hearts. And might we grasp the significance of this prayer, Father, that you prayed under the same inspiration and anointing even more so than you ever prayed a prayer. Father, for that prayer was to lash down through the ages of time to us tonight. Father, and might we realize that we are included in this great intercessory prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus Christ is our high priest, ever-living, ever-living, to make intercession for us. He did not just do it one time, ever living, to make intercession for us. The devil begins to accuse us on the grounds of our past life. He immediately steps forth and intercedes and stands between us and the righteous judgment of God. It's the only way that we can possibly approach the throne of God at all is robing ourselves through the righteousness of Christ Jesus. We will never attain worthiness enough, holiness enough, to be able to come, and yet he invites us to come, but the only way we can do that is through the righteousness of Jesus and because he intercedes for us. You see, he returned to where he came from, his heavenly abode, but he left his heart here. Jesus' heart still beats for humanity, still beats for his children. He still cares. He still loves. And through his people, he has ordained that he still reaches out for the lost. You see, his job was ended. He gave his life. He presented the sacred blood from heaven and sat down on the right hand of God and the right hand of power and ever living to make intercession for us. Whatever our needs are, whatever we are too weak, or whatever we are, he makes intercession for us. 
and allows us into the presence of a mighty God. It's never been done before. Never was done until Jesus came and died, presented the sacred blood to heaven, and there it was enough. And now then we can come, as you all know, face to face with Almighty God. Otherwise, before that, we would have been slain. But he still reaches out through his people, for his people, through us. Yes. You see, we have been left here for a purpose. Amen. And in his prayer, he prays that I don't pray that you take them out in the world. Uh-uh. Uh, there was a purpose for us to be here, but Amen. he prays for us. Yes. And I like that. And I've said often, it means a lot. When you have someone that you have confidence in, even in humanity, to know that they're praying for you. It means a lot. It simply gives you stamina and strength that you wouldn't have otherwise than that because you are aware that when you lose your abilities to pray as you should, then you're depending on other individuals to hold you up before the throne of grace and mercy. And uh, Jesus prays for us. And I like for us to just let that lodge in our spirit that he prays for us. He prayed then, he prays now, and his prayer is keep them. Keep them. In other words, there's no reason, no earthly reason for anybody to go back on God. Because when we do, we're just making a mockery of his prayer when he prayed. And he said to the, about the disciples, you have given them to me. They were yours. You gave them to me and I kept them. And then I returned them or give them over to you. And then he prays to every individual that comes in contact with God. From that time on, he prays that they would be kept through the interceding power of God and the power of Jesus. So what we do is really distrust God. And there's a lot of individuals that's away from God because they did not believe in the prayer of Jesus. And he said many times what he's able to begin in us, he is able to finish. And I like that, don't you? And it gives me some hope beyond anything that I have ever known before. I hope beyond this veil of tears. You young people listen to me now. Don't give me a problem, okay? If you've got something more important to do than I have, why you come up here and share it with us. Is that all right? I want to be as gentle as I can, but this is something that you need to know. You see, God is still interceding for you, okay? All right, let's move on with this. And I think how little we see the depth of this prayer. I don't think really we see a depth in it at all for his disciple and us today. He's a great high priest interceding for his own. He is bone of our bone. He is flesh of our flesh, and we know that. And he had to be, but yet he is our God. He is our king. He is our bridegroom. He is our friend, and he is our good shepherd. And he is now, as he said, forever on the right hand of God, our power. The word bears out the word power for us. The reason he's there is for us, saints. That's why he's there is for us. It's not for anybody else, but for his people. Hebrews reads like this, Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. In other words, he is able to save them. He's able to save us to the uttermost Seeing he ever liveth, he's alive tonight, ever liveth to make intercession for us. In other words, when we need something that we're not able to attain, if we can realize that he makes intercession for us. 
that he is there interceding for us. Sees our failures, and we'll bring that out a little bit later on. How this man, Jesus Christ, prays. Great, obedient vessel of flesh, earnestly presenting his petition to the great, mighty God, as he says, keep them. Now, he does this by reminding God, or his Father, that he emptied himself of his own will while he was on earth. In other words, he bases his plea upon his merits, not upon ours. And that ought to do something for us tonight. Because when Jesus pleads for us, even yet today, he bases his plea for us upon his merits. The fact that he gave up all his will didn't mean anything to him. He becomes so poor that he had no place to lay his head for our sakes. He was about at this prayer to receive the full penalty of sin, ready to drink the very last bitter dregs of the cup, and yet he was praying for us. I want you to understand how important, saints, that we were to him, all living saints past that are living today, but we need to realize it's for us. And how important it was to him to pray for us, even with everything else hanging over his head. Just about ready to enter into the garden. Just about ready to be uh, uh, met by the troops that came to get him. Just about ready to be mutilated and spit upon. Just about ready to be striped. Just about ready to be hung on the cross. Just about ready to give his life. And yet his concern was not for himself at that time. His concern was those that was going to be left in the midst of this world with the same job that he had. And that's reaching individual souls. He had glorified God on earth. And I think he asked us to do the same thing. Now how can we glorify God on earth? Is to be like Jesus was, perfect in every aspect, and allow... His will to become predominant over ours. Then we glorify God. Any time, saints, any time in any certain period of our life where God's will pre-exempts ours, we're glorifying God. Whether we do it all the time or not, as we should, but any time we do do that, we are glorifying God. We're glorifying Him by saying, God, Your will is more important than mine is. And he has a preface for his prayer of intercession. You see, he's reflecting, not reflecting back. He's reflecting forward when he prays. And this is what he says, I am no more in the world. Well, he was. He was still there. But he's reflecting forward. But he says, now these are in the world. In other words, I am just about to end my course on this earth. But these are going to be left in the world. Whoever comes and follows me, my disciples, and they will make disciples, and then those disciples will make disciples, and on and on it goes, a continuous flow of disciples, and they have a job to do. They're left in this world to do a job. We're left in this world not to live to suit ourselves, but to live to suit God. And he prays, Jesus prays, that we will be kept in the midst of all of this. Sometimes when you're a little bit lonely, And sometimes when you really don't feel like anybody cares. And sometimes when your prayer doesn't get any higher than the ceiling. Turn around and look at this prayer of intercession. And realize Jesus has prayed for you. And his prayer is always heard. Rings down to the corners of time. And is always heard by Almighty God. Not a prayer that he ever prayed wasn't heard. 
And this one was heard. And he said, keep them. I think he looks down upon all of us in the midst of our problems. And his words are still standing before the great eternal God as he says, I want them kept. I'm not in this world. You see, Jesus knew the past that lay before men. He knew it because he came to this earth to be tempted just like man was tempted that he might become man's intercessor or high priest. You see, any claim we have, we can base it upon the righteousness of Jesus. He never failed at any time. He done exactly what he was supposed to do. And you see, it's not as if God sitting way up there uh, knows nothing about how man feels. There was a time he did not know the feelings of man because he was holy and divine. But because he needed to know how man felt, as well as give a redeemer for the world, he robes himself in human flesh and comes down and felt at all times like we did. And friends, he still does. You see, any time that we suffer, remember uh, what, it, uh, what, Paul, what it was said at Paul? Whenever said, why, why do you persecute me? And Paul didn't know what he was talking about. And as long as you persecute somebody else, you're persecuting God. Yes. As long as God Almighty uh, cares about us. And he does. Yes, he, he cares does. about us tonight. But Jesus knew that there was going to be problems. I want you to notice in his prayer. This does away with some of these fantastic things that they promise you and, and uh, just... Uh, ask and receive and all those things and get uh, four, four room mansions or rooms of all types and worldly things. But if you notice in Jesus' prayer, he never prayed for riches. You won't find out any place. He never did pray for you to be rich. Now, some way or somehow you can accomplish that and still stay on the right tack with God, that's fine. Use your money that God allows you to make and give that into the kingdom of God to build it up. But he didn't pray for honor. And he didn't pray for worldly influence for them, and he didn't pray for that for us today. And you have to realize that. You see, the things that men look upon as, uh, the, as what would you say, important, and it becomes important to us, Christ looks upon as the superficial. They don't mean anything as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. So he looks down, sees where he's leaving his people, where he's going to leave them, and he prays earnestly, not for riches, not for worldly honor, not for intellect, not for any of these things, but he prays that we will be kept from evil. Keep them from the evil one. He prays that we will be separated from the world. Is that a prayer that's been answered? Has Jesus' prayer went for loss in our lives? Think about it, saints, and think hard on it, because that was one of the prayers that he prayed. And he prayed that we would be equipped for the battle of life. And he prayed that we would be brought safely home into the kingdom of God. That is a prayer that I think if we listen to Jesus so desired that everyone that made a start for him would be brought safely into the kingdom of God. He prayed that everybody that started would not fall. And we need to understand that. And he made a supplication as he was about to depart. He said, remember, I'm coming to thee, but these are still in the world. He looked at his disciples and knew everything that they was going to have to undergo. He looked at us and realized in the midst of a darkened world that's lost track of almost everything of God, he looked at us and knew and understood where we was going to be left. You see, he was going to return to his eternal habitation, but these were still going to be left 
in the confusing wilderness of the world. He was going where no weariness could ever bother him anymore, where Satan could never tempt him anymore because he had won the battle, and where no weariness at all could ever distress him. But he also, knowing that, looked down upon a world and said, These are still in the world. Keep them. Keep them. Keep them how? By the mighty power of God. Keep them how? But by the grace of God. Keep them because he prays for him. Prays for us. You see, he was weary down here. He knows what it's about to be weary. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood. He knows what it's like to suffer many adversaries in many ways. But he had won the battle. He won't be weary anymore. The way down here had been rough for him. Been thorny things. Have you ever understood and watched his path? Jesus never had an easy life. Of all the beautiful things he did for individuals, he was cursed and finally crucified for it. Bible simply says everywhere he went, he was doing good, and yet evil followed on his heels. He never had a good life down here. He never had it from the uh, conception and from his birth, because from the time he was able to understand, they called him a bastard, called him a wine-bibber, called him everything else in the world, and not one time did he ever do anything to hurt anybody. His whole life was spent upbuilding, uh, healing, following and teaching and resolving problems and touching hearts and lives of men. And uh, he, he went through all of these things. But now he was about ready to return to his earth, his heavenly abode. He had finished his task. And yet, as far as Savior was concerned, he was about to finish it. But as far as high priest is concerned, that will not be finished until after the thousand-year reign of peace. He still stands forever as a priest and still intercedes for us. And he saw them and he sees us. And he says, I'm not going to be bothered by it anymore, but they're still in the world. They've still got the same problems. They've still got the same enemy. And regardless of how exalted he might be, he will never forget his followers, all of us, down here in this wilderness of sin, as he prays, and that prayer is a continual prayer, it lives on, it's existed for 2,000 years, and it becomes richer as the days go by, as he says, gather them in your arm, press them to your heart, and keep them from the evil one. Don't allow them to be destroyed. You see, he demonstrated his concern so beautifully in so many ways, but especially in the night that he spent in prayer, at least his intention was to spend all night in prayer. But in Matthew, he left his disciples, told them to go on the other side, and that's that's a sermon in itself, but let's gather a few of the little golden nuggets from that. And uh, he left them, and his intention was to go and pray all night. But as he was praying, he looked down on the Sea of Galilee, and he saw a storm uh, gathering and it was churning the waters and tossing and twisting in turbulent waves and in the midst of that he saw a little boat and that little boat was filled with anxious disciples the Bible says they were rowing and toiling just doing their dead level best to keep the boat afloat I want you to notice they were rowing and they were toiling they were doing the very best they could they did not rest on their laurels 
They did not just say, okay, we'll sit back and let Jesus do it all. They was doing the very best they could to be able to go on the other side. But they were in trouble. And he left them there as he saw them until the fourth watch of the night. And then he comes walking on the water. And that's the way it's going to be with us. You have to remember and always remember, and he will always remember, those that are tempted, those that are buffeted, those that are tempest-tossed, and those that are followers of him. That's doing their dead level best to follow him and being taken up in some anxiety or something like that. And often he leaves us floundering around a while. He wants us to flex our muscles a little bit. He wants us to wrestle against the waves a little bit. But he will come to us on the fourth watch of the night. In other words, before it's too late, before we sink in the storms of life, if we will believe him, he will come to us, and there he will rebuke the winds and rebuke the waves, and there he will come to us and salvage us. But sometimes when he's not there, he wants us to flex our muscles. Do everything that is within you, saints. Flex your muscles and begin to wrestle against the waves. And realize that when it gets beyond us, when it goes farther than we can go and we know it, and we're just about ready to sink or understand this, God Almighty has already heard the prayer of our intercessor and says, keep them. And all we need but do is say, Jesus, I need some help. I was reading some time ago where David, in his misery and powers of hell against him and depressions, he was saying, Lord, I need out of this pit. I'm in a pit. I don't have a ladder to get out of. I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. And much of the reason I'm here is for myself. I did a lot of it myself. But God, I want out of this pit. I don't want to dwell here. I don't want to dwell among anxious waves and despondency and discouragement and all those things that seek to drown you. And David said, I want out of here. And friend, listen, if we say that the hand of God will be there, he'll put a ladder down there and we can climb out because he prayed for us. He said we were able told us we have the abilities to do that he would help us hallelujah i want to glorify him a while he said he would help us he said keep them thank god keep them in other words while they're in the midst of the storm know friend that you're not going to drown one little cry from the from our lips to the master and he hears us oh listen the storms don't drown him out he hears every cry you see, the hour at that time was darkest. It was most desolate. But when we see that, if we could realize that, sunrise comes right after the darkest hour. Always darkest, the old saying is, before the dawn. And he pleads for them. How he prays for them. They are still in the world. Let's make that today these people are still in the world we are still in the world the ungodly world the unkind world the unconcerned world that loves its own but hates Christ and you see that more and more every day if you become a Christian used to be a little bit uh, that there was a little honor to it but not anymore there's a hatred for Christianity. There's a hatred for you that want to know Christ. There's a hatred for you that want to dispatch all the things of this world and get a hold of God. The world hates you. But Jesus loves you. And He pleads for us. 
You see, this world is not good to us, but sometimes it's good for us. You see, this is a place of a trial for the child of God. This is a place where every facet of his experience with Christ is going to be sorely tested. If we can understand that, then we can better, better fight the powers of the enemy. Left in this world, every facet of our experience, everything that we've ever got a hold of from God, every experience we've ever had, whether it's salvation, or whether it's the Holy Ghost, or whether it's a healing of our body, every facet of our experience is going to be thoroughly tested by the powers of the enemy. But Jesus said, keep them. Put your arms around them and keep them in the midst of this place. You see, this is a place of danger where we're going to be surely pressed by the enemy of our souls. There's a place where every attempt is going to be made to deceive individuals by drawing them aside with some fascination and clouding their vision of Jesus Christ. And if we ever lived in a time, saints, where the vision of Christ is dimming, it's this day and hour. And yet, while this happens, and there is not a single time in our life, there is a single time, maybe more than that, in our life, where our vision of who God is and what He is and what He can do is clouded a little bit. There's times when we believe without a shadow of a doubt, and there's other times we wonder where God's at, and our faith is shaken. And when that happens, get a hold of what you have and hold on to it. What is it? Revelation says, Hold fast than that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Don't let anybody take the crown that God has asked and given unto us. But sometimes vision is clouded. This cold, cruel chamber of the world is where he was going to have to leave those he loved the most. Jesus knew that hope withers in this world. Jesus knew there'd be times when hopeless situations would occur. Jesus knew that any joy we might receive is just fleeting. It'll be gone. There's nothing eternal but the joy of Almighty God. Nothing eternal. Jesus knew that nothing is abiding. Everything that this world offers is here for a moment and then it's gone. Jesus knew that change is constant. Everything is always changing. Jesus knew that flesh was weak. And Jesus knew that the enemy of our soul, above all, the powers of hell, roaring lion, pacing backwards and forth, searching for prey, seeking a frightened, trembling soul to tear to sheds and mutilate it beyond recognition is what he wants to do with a Christian life. And yet Jesus, knowing that, uttered up the most heart-rendering prayer and the most powerful prayer as he said, God, you gave them to me. And I have kept them through thy word. And now then I entrust them to you. And hear my prayer. Almighty God, hear my prayer. Keep them in the midst of this world. Don't let them lose grip on you. You see, he could have taken his disciples and he could have taken us to be with him. But out of compassion for a world that didn't know him, he left us here and leaves us today as lights in the midst of a darkened world. He says you can shine your light. He says I prayed for you. He says your needs could be supplied. Let's go back for just a moment 
to the sinking ship during the storm. Let's look at that because it has something to say. Here's a little boat so frail that it don't need a wave to topple it, but just a ripple to upset it. It wasn't made for the storms of Galilee like it was, and most of the individuals pretty much do sometimes when the storm come up. But just one little bitty ripple would upset the boat as it rides the highest wave in the midst of the wildest storm. Over the worst waves, it did not sink. How is that? Because Jesus was there. Amen. It all boils down to not the intellect of man and not the sturdiness of the ship, not the abilities of those that was in it, the sailing in the storm. The thing that kept it from upright and kept it from not sinking was the fact that Jesus was there. Now then, turn that around and see a human soul. See us, maybe, so weak that we can't contain or sustain ourselves, and yet all the powers of hell doesn't seem to be able to snuff our Christian life out of us as we still maintain some integrity of Almighty God, as we still stand against all odds, whether we feel anything or whether we don't, and stand with our feet solid on there. How can we do that? Because Jesus is there. Because He's there. We can't do it by ourselves. He's there, and He has to sustain us. A world would cripple us and destroy us, but Jesus prayed for us, and He's there. In the midst of every storm, Brother Robert preached it, and it's been preached before. In the midst of every storm of life, Jesus is there, and He sustains us, and He keeps us. I would hate to think that His prayer wasn't powerful enough, and yet many of individuals have failed to grasp the significance of that. Let's see the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look who that was entrusted to. He did not call the Sanhedrin and the rulers of it. He did not call intellectual men. He didn't call people from the school of Gamaliel. What did he pick out to give the gospel to? Some of the weakest and meekest men there was. Fishermen of all types, tax collectors, hated, certainly not men of great intellect or power. But in spite of it all, when he handed that to those disciples, and when he handed that to those 120 that went into the upper room and came out with the power of God that set this nation and turned it upside down in Rome, and in spite of what Rome could do to them, it still caused the gospel to flourish. And it defied all the powers of Rome, burned in the heart and through the lips of the followers that was there of Jesus Christ, and carried it through the dark ages. And friend, it's still going forth in spite of the powers of hell. It's still going forth. The truth of the gospel, the truth of the power of God cannot be done away with. It's endured to fire, it's endured to flame, it's endured to flood. Whatever mankind wanted to do to it, it has still come to your day and mine, and it'll stand, friend, until Jesus comes. Because he's got a people that says, I will stand because of Jesus. Hallelujah, because of Calvary. I'm not standing on my own merits. I'm not standing on my perfectness. I'm not standing because I'm a super saint. I'm standing because Jesus is here. Because Jesus came. Because when I needed him, he prayed for me and he answered me. Thank God for that faith. He answered me and he sustained us. And he put our feet on this solid rock. 
said, now then, well, they're safe. Rulers and dictators have tried to suppress it. But it's still being sounded. We're living in a day and hour when they're doing everything they can to move Christianity out of our nation. And doing everything they can to put it down. And friend, those that's not entrenched, those that have not been filled and by His power, those that have not got a hold of who Jesus is, those that don't believe in Him and don't believe in the virgin birth and want to take the blood out of their songbooks and everything else, they're going to fall by the wayside. But when the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ filled with the power of the Holy Ghost is here now and it'll be here when Jesus comes filled with power and glory and anointing with arms of praise and said, this is our God and we waited for Him. Hallelujah, because He prayed. Because He cared. Because He's been there. Thank God all the powers of hell have tried to extinguish it. Tried to put it out. And why couldn't it be done? Because Jesus is there. Because Jesus is there. Not because of who you are, who I am, or you, what you, who you might ever be. It's simply because Jesus prayed for us and ever liveth. Still alive. To make intercession for us. Not a dead God. An alive intercessor. Hallelujah. Just like the bush in the wilderness. The way the church of God is. Burning but not consumed. Hallelujah. It's not burning with the fire of this world. It's burning with the fire and fervency of the power of Almighty God and the Holy Ghost. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, Peter says. Outriding every storm. Resisting every temptation. Carried by the prayer of Jesus Christ. Keep them triumphantly over death and hell. In spite of the world. In spite of what it says. In spite of the flesh or how it battles. How it seeks to gain control. In spite of the devil. In this world, yes, but not all the world. Left here for a purpose. Witnessing, yes, but living a life, believing in God. You see, if it wasn't for ups and downs, it wasn't for our problems, we would never really understand the power of God and His abilities. If He guided us on a steady course, never allowed anything to happen to us, never allowed anything at all, we'd never know who He is. But our greatest moments, our greatest triumphs is when we have reached beyond our capacity. And let me tell you something, there will never come a time but what you will always have to reach out beyond your capacity. There has to be something. I don't care the greatest man in the world, most uh, powerful man as far as God is concerned, reaches his limits. And there has to be some supernatural thing that would carry him over. And that has to be Jesus. You see, if he left us here and they never had any trials never had any troubles you see we would never reach into the depths of his power I would never know what his saving power meant and what the blood of Jesus Christ meant till I come face to face with the reality that whatever I did I could not save myself 
I would have no idea of the redeeming flow from Calvary. Had no idea what it was like, though I sat in church pretty much all my life, but had no idea of its delivering power and its uh, uh, cleansing power until I came to the end of my rope and I needed something I couldn't provide for me. And then the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed me and I knew its power then. I felt his power then. I would never know anything about the power of the Holy Ghost until I reached to the place or got to the place to where I needed more of this carnal man and the best I could do in my best prayer and the best way I could live my life was not enough because I was always sinking and always in despair depending upon my will and depending upon my power and it failed me sometimes I would never have known the power of the Holy Ghost in my life if I hadn't reached a point where I knew I desperately needed it beyond my control and He came in like He said He would and filled me and I knew its power and I still know it tonight because it breathes His life in me I would never know what it's like to be lifted out of the pit if I'd never been in one. <laughs> I would have never known the darkness of the hour if he'd kept me surrounded in the sunlight. But sometimes he withdraws himself, as it were, for a moment, opens the gate. Powers of hell are already to come and mutilate and destroy. Oh yes. You feel that same presence that David felt and others. The Apostle Paul felt it. You feel the darkness of that pit beginning to surround you. And you know that there's no earthly way that you can ever get out of there. You look up and you look at the signs. You're in the depths of Mar sinking and no way out until you call on Jesus and he's there because he said he would be I would have never known what it's like to feel the healing power of my master had not I felt the pains of sickness and distress upon my body I would never know what it feels like to suffer and almost die and then have the delivering hand of God come down I would never know what it's like to feel the distress and the forsaken feeling when I pray for something it doesn't happen. I would never know the patience unless God teach it to me. And I'm able to reach out in the midst of that darkness and grasp that firm hand of His and say it's enough. You see, He left us a pattern. He interceded for us. He did a great job of interceding. And then he says, now then, you're left here to do what I was doing. He said, now I don't pray for the world. I pray for you. 
You've got to understand then if the world gets prayed for, who has to pray for? We do. We do. And you see, all of us have been out there. I don't think there's a soul here that doesn't know what it's like to be out into the world sinking with no hope and to know that Jesus came and touched our life. We've experienced it. And we ought to feel for them out there. Our lives ought to be changed by this great intercessory prayer of Jesus. It ought to make us more unselfish than we've ever been in our lives. It ought to make us more responsible Christians than we've ever been in our lives. To realize that He did it for us. Then He asked us to do it for them. We often speak of the great need for intercessors. But are we? Can we, or do we dare to be one that says, keep them. Keep them. Keep them. Over and over and over. Oh, you see people out in this world and you think they don't deserve to be kept. Neither do we. And as far as deserving is concerned, we still don't. But our prayers ought to be the same as Jesus. Keep them. Lord, keep them until they can be touched by your divinity. Keep them until they can be drawn into your presence. Keep your hand on them, Lord. Did you realize you're the only canopy? That there is sometimes over your unsaved family and your friends. That's the only umbrella they have that keeps them from being torn apart by the enemy or even killed. Is your prayer of intercession. Do you not agree that we spend probably too much time praying for us when Jesus has already did it instead of praying for those others that don't know who God is? Remember, somebody stood in the same place we are. That's true. Prayed for us. Yes. We may never know. I know some of the people that prayed for me. I never know all of them. But I do know this. They did a good job. They held on. They didn't turn loose. Had every reason in the world to just say, and one lady said it, he'll never mount anything, he's going to hell. Those were not intercessors. Those were judges. Condemn us. The others said, no, he's not. Mm-mm. I'm not going to let him. I remember Mama's voice. <laughs> Little woman, no, he's not. I'm not going to let him. She must have got a hold of this. She must have read this chapter. She must have realized, that's my job. Amen. I'm going to pray for my boy. I'm not going to lose him. Amen. God's going to get him. Whether you believe it or not, God's got me. There's <laughs> hardly any part of me God doesn't have. I wouldn't have any other way. There's a prayer, saints. And there's a need. Would you stand with me? And as you stand there,